Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. Today we're wrapping up our series, it's called Doubting God. We've been trying to answer some of the biggest objections to our faith. And maybe some of these have been your objections. We've allowed space for questions to be asked and doubt to be expressed. We've been looking at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew, sandwiched between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrected Jesus, giving the disciples what we call the Great Commission. We find this most relatable sentence, we've been reading it all series long. The disciples are on a mountain in Galilee with Jesus, and they are in the posture of worship. And yet we read this in Matthew 28, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. The disciples are before Jesus in a posture of worship, seeing the nail-scarred hands, and yet some of them still wrestled with doubt. And this is so relatable, isn't it? Because no matter how solid you might be in your faith, there are times when we wrestle with doubt and we have questions. Today I want to talk about a popular counter to our faith. Uh, Chances are you've heard this argument from family members or friends or neighbors as to why they have doubts and concerns about God. And maybe it's an objection that you personally had or maybe you even came to church with today. And to help introduce us to this topic, I want to show you a clip from one of the greatest, most profound and thought-provoking movies of all time. Nacho Libre, all right? Check this out. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Why do you always have to be judging me because I only believe in science, right? That's the point in question. Do faith and science contradict each other? Or maybe you've heard objections like, I don't believe in God because he cannot be scientifically proven. Here's what you need to know. I've made this argument earlier in our series, but I'll say it again. Our faith is not an illogical or irrational faith. Belief in God is not the same as belief in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy. We do not have a blind faith. There are legitimate claims and evidence to back those claims up that lead to one having to draw a conclusion based on who was Jesus, what were his claims, And what did he do? I don't believe God and science to contradict or to be in conflict with each other. In fact, I think they can actually be complementary to one another. So here's what I want to do today. Okay, I'm going to warn you. We're going to go through a lot in a short amount of time. So make sure that you have your notes ready, your pen ready. You know, because here's what I want to do. I want to make a case for God. Uh, Now, here's a little warning. I don't claim to be a scientist, a philosopher, an astronomer. I'm none of those things. You guys know better. You're lucky I have 
a high school diploma, okay? I'm, I'm not that smart, but I do want to help you understand some of these arguments. And my prayer is that these arguments for God can help solidify your faith, or at the very least, I pray that these might be some points that you can bring up to the people in your life who struggle with reconciling God or faith and science, okay? We all have those friends and family in our lives. So it's going to be a bit like drinking from a fire hose. Are you guys ready? It doesn't matter if you're ready because we're, we're going for it, okay? Here's number one. You can write this down. It's the Kalam cosmological argument. Forever, scientists and philosophers have tried to decipher the origins of the universe. And one of the most popular theories you've heard, no doubt, is what's known as the Big Bang Theory, which states that the universe began from a single point in time. It also observes that the universe is constantly expanding. And if the universe is expanding, then you can trace the trajectory of the expansion of the universe in reverse back to its original starting point. So what most people would agree on and conclude is that the universe did, in fact, have a beginning. The issue lies in the answer to the question, what caused the beginning of the universe? Or you can say, if the Big Bang Theory proves to be true, what caused the Big Bang? And this is what the Kalam cosmological argument states, okay? It states this, A, if everything that begins to exist has a cause, B, the universe began to exist, C, therefore the universe has a cause. You can see this argument in play in anything in life. For example, you exist, <laughs> you're here, so there's a cause to you being here. That cause was that you were procreated by your parents to be here and now you exist. There's nothing in life that exists without a cause. When you go to a birthday party and they bring out the cake and the candles are blown out and you take a bite of your uh, piece next to some ice cream, you know intrinsically that that cake did not just show up on your plate or at the birthday party. The existence of the cake, the taste of the cake, and your sugar levels skyrocketing through the roof tell you that there was a cause for the existence of the cake. Someone baked the cake. Someone put all the ingredients together, they baked it in an oven, they smothered it in icing, and they put it on your table. But while this is something science is only recently attempting to uncover, this is a truth that's been stated long before as revealed by God in the scriptures. The Big Bang Theory is less than 100 years old, but yet God tells us through the scriptures in the very first page of the Bible, there's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The cause of the universe and life as we know it came from God. Space, time, and matter all came to be at the beginning. So the cause has to come from someone who is spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. That describes God. This is something that we've known for a very long time, and we didn't need the Hubble telescope to tell us. But it's great that it confirms it. In the beginning, God created the universe, the stars, the moon, the planets, the galaxies, and the earth. God is the author and sustainer of life. Everything that exists has a cause. The universe exists, therefore the universe has a cause. The argument that I'm making is that that cause is God. The next argument that I want to tell you all to consider is this, number two, is the fine-tuning argument. Did you ever consider all the conditions that would need to be in place in order for life to be sustainable on earth? You know, most of us go about our lives and we never even think twice about it. For example, you never leave your house afraid that all of a sudden the gravitational pull on Earth will shift and you'll be floating up into the sky without a way to ever land safely back on ground. 
You never go to the beach in the summer and lay down in the sand to catch some rays and worry that the sun will burn you into a pile of ashes. Right? You never worry about that. You never go out for a jog and worry that all of a sudden the oxygen levels on earth will shift mid-run and you'll be left gasping for air, left to die on the side of the road. That's just not a fear that you have. You rest in the fact that the average gravitational pull of the earth is 9.8 meters per second squared and that the average distance of the sun is 93.535 million miles from the earth and that 21% of the earth's atmosphere is oxygen. You just rest in that. But what would happen if any of these things were off by the smallest percentage? Life would not be sustainable on Earth. Life as we know it would cease to exist. The fine-tuning argument makes the case that if the fundamental constants and parameters of the universe were not precisely set, then intelligent life would not exist. Therefore, the precise fine-tuning of the universe implies the existence of an intelligent designer or a fine-tuner. And I'd make the argument that that fine-tuner is God. But of course, we already know this because it was the psalmist who said this. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. I don't know if the psalmist stepped outside on a dark night and he began to gaze upon the stars and glimpse into the expanse of the universe, which took his very breath away and inspired him to write, The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, some say that the universe came into existence by chance, that it was all a big cosmic accident, that some way, somehow, it all randomly came to be and just so perfectly lined up in order to sustain life and the universe. It was a renowned atheist scientist and mathematician by the name of Sir Roger Penrose that calculated the probability of the universe coming into existence by chance. He calculated to be a 1 in 10 to the 10th to the 123rd power probability. In other words, it's an unimaginable number. The earth and its ecosystems, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars have been finely tuned in order to sustain life. There's no way that you can look at all that structure and precision and think that it was by accident. You actually have a better chance of spilling a bowl of alphabet soup and having the letters drop in alphabetical order. As the psalmist said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The expanse proclaims the work of his hands. It's his doing. An intelligent mind was working at putting all the pieces together to create what we see and what we experience today. By the way, this truth has huge ramifications for how we live and what we believe. If an intelligent mind created all this, this means that we have purpose. If this was all chance and a huge cosmic mistake, nothing matters. You're a mistake. I'm a mistake. But if a fine tuner finally tuned the universe, then we know we can have purpose. The next argument that I want you to consider is this number three. Write this down in your notes, please. Okay. It's the teleological argument. If we took a walk together up Troutman Street, just a few blocks from here, and we went to admire all the murals, we could appreciate the colors, we could appreciate how vibrant they are, the emotions that are stirred up from examining the art. We could have a discussion about the deeper meaning behind the art and what philosophical or sociological ideas the art was trying to communicate. And while I might like one mural that you might dislike, and while we might disagree on what message was being portrayed through the art, there's one thing that we'd agree on. And that is that the art that we're looking at and appreciating was made by the hands of an artist. Nobody would look at the art and say that it just appeared there one day. 
You would never look at the architecture, the design, the layout of a building and think that it just popped up one day out of nowhere. You say that the fact that the building is functional and its architecture is beautiful and its construction is sturdy points to something outside of it. You would reason that a team of engineers and architects and construction workers and skilled laborers built the structure to make it functional, beautiful, and sturdy. And this is what the teleological argument makes. Here it is in three points, okay? A, every design has a designer. B, the universe and life exhibit design. C, therefore, the universe and life have a designer. Did you ever think about how intrinsically designed you are? For example, did you know that we could have upwards of 10,000 taste buds on our tongue so that we can enjoy the flavors of the food and the drinks that we consume? Did you know that your brain consists of 86 billion neurons and that information travels to your brain at the speed of 268 miles per hour? Or what about the fact that your heart beats 100,000 times a day and pumps 2,000 gallons of blood through your body? What does all this information point to? Well, the fact that we are so intrinsically designed points to a designer. And it's the same with nature. When you look at the beauty of a flower or a sunset, when your breath is taken away when you stand at the foot of a mountain, when you see the power of a lion or bear, when you are frightened by the roar of lightning, all of it points to a designer. And once again, this too is confirmed for us in Scripture. And Scripture helps us see God as a designer. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, that is His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. What is Paul saying? He's saying that we can see evidence of God all around us through His design. If there is design, there is a designer. Now, I've given you these three arguments, and there's more that can be made, but for the sake of time, I wanted to present these to you. Is there a conflict between God and science or faith and science? I don't think so. I think the two can actually complement each other. But the question is, what are you going to do with this information? You see, guys, no matter how you slice it, you're always going to need faith. You cannot scientifically prove God no more than you can scientifically prove love or scientifically prove an idea or morality. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Nowhere in life do we have 100% certainty. Are you 100% certain that when you walk out of the house tomorrow, something tragic won't happen to you? The next time you get on a plane, are you 100% certain the plane won't crash? You're not. But you still walk out the door and you still get on the plane. Why? Well, maybe you have more faith than you think. You will always need faith. And when you exercise your faith, you'll come to know a God that will never leave you or forsake you. A God that loves you more than you can imagine. A God that is kind and compassionate, slow to anger, and quick to offer forgiveness. And this is best demonstrated by the lengths that He went through in order to redeem you back to Himself. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, the designer, the creator, the one who has no beginning and no end, entered into his own creation in the person and work of Jesus, just so that he could live the life that we were incapable of living 
who died the death that we deserve. The wages of sin is death. That's the payment that we owe. The punishment that we deserve is the wrath of God for our disobedience and sin. But God is so rich in mercy. He died for us. He absorbed the wrath of God for us so that we wouldn't have to. He died on a cross and they placed his lifeless body in a tomb where three days later, God would raise Jesus from the dead saying, once and for all, Satan, sin, and death has no hold on us. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is once and for all the atonement for our sins. And all we need to do in order to experience forgiveness of sin and new life and eternity with God is to accept His free gift of grace by faith. And if you're here today and you, you're ready to take the, that step of faith, God is willing and He's ready to accept you into His family. All you need to do is put your faith in Christ. Thank you, God, that you are the designer that the sun, the moon, and the stars all declare the handiwork of God. That when we look in the mirror and when we look at each other, we see the fingerprint and the image of, of God on us, bearing evidence of a creator. Thank you, Lord, for all the evidence that you've given us. That we have science, knowledge, and wisdom to confirm your greatness and grandeur. I pray that it would bring us to our knees in worship of such an awesome creator. Thank you for your humility and entering our world just to rescue us from our sin and the grip of Satan. You are such a gracious, loving, and merciful Father. Help us build our faith. In those areas where we doubt, where we have questions, where we're uncertain, may your Holy Spirit give us faith to endure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?